Hey, welcome to the Red Sessions here at the bottom half is red. You're going to enjoy these sessions. The purpose of these sessions are are to dig a little bit deeper. And what we're going to do in these sessions is you're going to hear a little bit more content. It's going to be a little bit more targeted. We're going to pull out some things from experience, depth. We're asking those that contribute to our Red Sessions to be more open, to be more honest. These sessions are going to capitalize on the content that we're laying out, but in a more extended way in order to shed light on some of these critical topics. These Red Sessions are going to add such value to your life. And you're going to see it. You're going to hear it. Um, you're going to love it. Hey, welcome to the bottom half is red. My name is Baron Longstrath and I am in studio today with the one and only Bishop Mark Morgan. Thank God there's only one. <laughs> we are incredibly excited about having you on the program. Uh, this is a red session, and you're going to see these pop up throughout uh, the seasons, one or two per season. And this is a bonus session, and we're going to sit down. So it's going to be formatted a little bit differently. You're going to see Bishop or whoever the guest is, and they're just going to they're just going to roll with it. And uh, we want to give them the time, so there might be a little bit of extra time today spent with Bishop Morgan. But um, as you're going to hear our audience, you will be blessed by the content. I promise you that. Brother Morgan is a visionary and um, he's a, a man of multiple hats multiple hats all over the world probably can't even hardly keep up with his own schedule he's so no. busy um but he's got a great secretary we're thankful for that yeah and, that's uh, for sure thanks for carving out a couple moments of your time with us brother morgan we, we've got an interesting topic and this is something that i feel like is a passion of yours investing in the next generation is not something new with you you've been doing this for quite some time and i'll let you expound on that in a little bit if you desire to do so but the next generation seems like it is always on your mind and passing the baton and getting the revelation and who you are and what god gives you into the hands of the upcoming generation i one am a beneficiary of your ministry and I am so thankful for that. We were in the car earlier on the way to lunch and you begin to talk about a recent sermon and you were talking about some of the structures of that sermon and uh, the executive producer of the bottom half is red David and I were in the uh, truck with you and David just came up with an incredible idea and that is to see if you would not mind to talk about sermon preparation what goes into a sermon how important how does god speak to you i'm just throwing some questions lobbing some questions over in your direction but all of the factors of what it really takes for a sermon to come out and not just effectively but make a like we're not talking about just a momentary effect we're talking about a lasting effect and so just giving you the opportunity to take the time and i might pipe in just I hope so. Yeah, occasionally and just say, Brother Morgan, expound on that. But I think the depth that you have on this subject, we all, I mean, I'm sitting here anticipating, I can't wait, but we all would want to hear. So Brother Morgan, we're going to give him an opportunity just to roll with this. Talk to us about what it takes to get the mind of God and go with it. All right. First of all, it's an honor to be on your podcast. We're glad to have you. And uh, also some of my favorite people, so I'm enjoying this. Before I go into that, I just want to say one thing. You just talk about the next generation. Yeah. I told my wife the other day, 
and actually it's a few weeks ago during COVID, I put that way, during COVID, they canceled Youth Congress. And so a lot of districts and areas were doing like regional right. youth events. So I was asked to do Texas, one of the night services. And so so when I got to praying about it and studying on it, this is what I felt that kept coming was, you fought your giant. Mm. And the story of David came to me. So David defeats Goliath. But years later, he's fighting another giant. I think his name was Ishbabanab. I'd you like to have that name? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and he's losing. And so Abishai came, and the Bible says he, he secured David. Right. Well, when he got out of that, the men came to David and said, no more battles for you, lest the light of Israel go out. So God got to deal with me about that. And I expressed this to my wife even. I said, you know what? We're like David. We fought our giant. Mm. And as far as I'm concerned, we won. But I said, but entering the phase of life that I'm at, I don't have the strength to fight this generation's giant. Mm. Every generation has to fight its own giant. Wow. And if you look at that story, it tells you, Goliath's spear, what it was made out of, the weight of it. And one of them was made, I think, out of uh, it was bronze and the other was iron or something. So it's it's a different type weapon, mm. different weight. And so every generation faces a different type weapon. I mean, this generation here is facing stuff that, I mean, I, I just like, I, I can't relate to it, you know. So I feel very strong about, I don't want to fight this generation's giant. But I'd like to help teach you how to fight them. Right. And so I, I kind of see that's where I'm maybe transitioning over to. I want to invest in the next generation. I believe, you know, we have the deal called Global Impact. And I believe that the way for us to really impact the world is to impact the next generation. Right. And I do believe they're going to have a great impact on the world. So that's kind of the, my philosophy about all this right now. And uh, now to address the subject, what I was saying was, is I just preached the conference and I preached way too long. And, uh, you know, I mean, just way too long. So I had to call the host people that hosted the conference, apologize. I said, look, man, I went way too long. And they were being kind. And I knew, oh, yeah, no, no, no. But, man, it just troubled me. You know, it, it really did. It troubled me that, you know, I preached that long. Now, people don't believe that, but it did. <laughs> and so after that, I felt very strong. The, the deal is, Baron, is I can get into subjects, and it's revelation. Right. And so it starts coming, and, and it just, you know, it does, it's not just one day, one time. It's just, it's a continual connecting of the dots. You know, I used to have a big whiteboard, and we'll, we'll eventually get back to that. I used to have a big whiteboard, and I'd get in the office, and when God would start giving me these things, when God began... When I got the whiteboard and God began to give me things, I would go to the whiteboard and write it out. Now, if a person walking in there couldn't make heads or tails out of it. And, you know, I have stick figures. I have arrows pointing one way and arrow pointing the other way. And so, but that's the way I see it. And then I have a verse and this connects with this and this connects with that. Going back to how long I preached, I felt like the Lord impressed me and said, quit trying to preach all that I'm giving you and write it. You know, it's it's just too much. It's too much stuff. It's in my spirit. Right. I mean, it's things that's God showing me at that moment. Now, my problem is, is once I write it out on the whiteboard and once I kind of get the flow of it, I don't ever have to see that whiteboard again. 
So when I feel God dealing with me about this subject, then it's kind of like in my mind, I could see it. Boom, 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 boom. Now, I was raised under a, a, a tremendous preacher. I mean, the guy was just a preacher. You know, we call him a preaching machine. Mm-hmm. Well, he really impacted us with notes, studying for a sermon, how to how to be a preacher, you know, and all that stuff. So when I first started in my ministry, that was very important to me, sermonizing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, putting it all together, the art of preaching. And and there's a lot of that in Pentecost, the, sure. the art of preaching. Uh, and I do believe, yeah, there's some things that you, we need to know and effective communication, all that. But But I think sometimes we put such an emphasis on that that we overlook really what this is about. Mm. And so later, through I won't go into all of it, through a series of events, God showed me by meeting a man in a dream. And in the dream, this man was standing in front of the pulpit, and I was trying to preach better. And I didn't climb on the pulpit, but I kind of leaned up, looked over it, and it it was hell. (laughs) And so that man looked at me as he started to fall into eternity. He looked at me and said, you've got to do more than preach. You've got to reach me. Wow. And so I stretched out as far as I could. We touched fingertips and I missed him. And I heard him screaming to eternity. You miss me, preacher. You miss me. So later I met the man and, you know, that's another story. So that kind of jolted me, you know, about I've got to do more than just get up and sermonize and preach a good sermon. And so, you know, that changed my whole paradigm. And, man, I mean, I used to have notebooks like crazy. I, I You know, I'd have what I call preaching fodder, <laughs> you know, just cliche sayings. You right. know, one of them was, I know a name that's louder than sound, swifter than speed, older than age, and better than good. You know, and with Pentecostal people, you start saying that stuff, you know, they're like, ah, you know. Now, you leave, they don't remember anything you said, but it right. was, you know, so, but the deal is, is God really began to change that. And uh, so I found myself getting into this and I, I mentioned this a little earlier in our private conversation. I tell our guys, I said, to be an effective preacher is you pray it down, you study it in, you preach it out. Wow. I mean, that's, that's what I tell them. So I, I try to get into prayer and just pray, say, okay, God, you know, what am I supposed to say tonight? What's this service about? Sometimes it's a fresh word. Sometimes, like I said, it's something that I'm already involved in, and I, that's kind of where I'm at. So I pray it down, I study it in, and then I preach it out. Mm. Now, one of the reasons why that's important to me is because God allocates his power only to fulfill his purpose. So if I, through prayer, can find that word or what God really wants to say, then I don't have to worry about the service. I don't have to worry about if it's high, low, upside down, right side up, because I know I've prayed it down. God has put it in my spirit. I know what I'm supposed to say, what I'm supposed to do. So I can walk to the pulpit with great confidence that, hey, I know God's purpose. I only have to question about his power. So, you know, that's that's kind of my approach to it. And again, you know, I get into these subjects and man, I could stay in these subjects for months. And, you know, poor people in San Francisco, they're like, okay, you know, can you move on? We've heard a lot about this. 
But I can't move on till the spirit moves. And, and, and Brother Morgan, I was just I wrote this in my notes section while you were talking and you just hit on it. And maybe we can expound on it because I think this is important, especially for my generation. Um, there's a lot of thought processes out there in terms of like series. And I've never been a big Sunday morning series type preacher. Wednesday nights, I can get into that because I feel like there's a direction we're going. We're trying to accomplish the end game. But I know Sundays have a lot to do with inspiration, have a lot to do with that impact of that direct word. But my question in terms of what you were saying is, do you feel like you're given more of like a seasonal direction? Does God open, like expound on it for a season and versus just a direct word? Like every Sunday, I got a direct word in terms of like a short term. You know, this is just for this Sunday. That's for this Sunday. Do you feel like God opens your understanding on a subject matter? More or less, yes, both. But the normal for me now is it's a seasonal deal. Okay. I get into this subject. Revelation is coming. You know, I have people say, I don't get it. You know, I can study, study, study. You look at a verse and you just, this, there it comes. Oh, well, I mean, that's a gift from God. Yeah. I mean, it's not because I, I'm super intelligent or something to the contrary, but it's a gift from God. And uh, it's that divine ability. Now, there are times that God speaks very directly to me. It's only a one-time deal about that service. Now, example, the Sunday before the government shut down and COVID was announced and all this stuff, I wake up and it's a weird deal because, you know, you're in that limbo state from still being asleep and kind of coming to consciousness. Yeah. Right in there, I'll have God speak to me a lot. I, I guess it's before my brain engages in the day and I get distracted. And so that Sunday morning, the word changeability came to me. Mm. So when I got up that day, I started studying. I, okay, what's changeability, you know? And basically, I preached, do we have the ability to change? Or are we so rigid and set that we'll be broken? Mm. And so after service, man come up and said, what was you trying to say? He said, you know, I've never known you to kind of beat around the bush. I said, I don't know. That's the word God gave me. And all I can tell you is we better have the ability to change or we're in trouble. Well, then boom. So sometimes that happens like that. Now, I, do, I, I don't want to get too far into this unless this is where you want to go. But I also think that a guy has to understand what component he holds in fivefold ministry. That's important. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because, you know, to me, let me give you an example. To me, prophets are spontaneous. I mean, you know, they don't connect the dots. It's just, you know, in the Old Testament, it said, I'll fill your mouth. He said, I fill your head. I say, if he fills your head by the time it gets out, it's the NIV. It's the nearly inspired version. <laughs> it's had to filter through all your life experiences. So a lot of times operating under prophecy, the prophetic, it's just there it is. It's right there. You can't study it. It's a direct word that's coming from God at that time. Now, I say that they're more spontaneous. I mean, they're really different characters and then i say okay let's take a teacher teacher's totally opposite mm. teacher is very methodical he connects the dots he gets into a subject and he's on it and so you have to start finding you know and then pastors of course they have their own dynamics to their ministry uh, evangelists so a lot of it has to do with the understanding of how i'm operating right mm. now and so uh, apostles, of course, they're a little different. You know, theirs is more 
I know prophets are a lot about direction, but I think apostles are more about the authority, the, the, this is where we need to move. This is, you know, so you have to understand that in your life. If you don't, you're frustrated. Hmm. I can remember when I was pastor in Oak you know, of course I was traveling a lot. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Right. And man, I'd go off and preach somewhere. And I mean, man, it was just dynamic. I mean, people's getting the Holy Ghost miracles and all the stuff. I'd come home, and preach the same message in Oak Mulgee, and they just kind of sat there and look at me. And then I would jokingly say, well, some kid right out of Bible college comes through and preaches it not near as good as I could preach it. And they're just going crazy. Right. And I'm like, you know, they don't appreciate my ministry. They don't know who I am. And finally, the Lord dealt with me one day and said, I didn't call you here as an evangelist. I called you here to be a pastor. You may be an evangelist out there, but here you're a pastor. And you need to understand your role and how it functions and what it does. Mm. If we don't understand that, then we live in frustration. Another thing that I would encourage people to do is don't compare yourself with anybody else. That's good. If you do, you're not wise. Uh, Paul, when he's addressing fivefold ministry, he says, now according to the measure of grace, there has been given. So with every ministry, God looks at that ministry and allocates grace. This is what you need for your ministry for you to do it. So you have a different allocation than I do. So it's not fair for me to look at you and then compare myself with it and try to operate like you do when I may not have that grace. Right. And so you know, I think that's very important. And I'm taking the long way around to get to all this. That's good. But, you know, understanding what your ministry is, how you're supposed to do it. Now, it's kind of funny. You got talking about series. So when I was in there. Uh, before I got banned in outer darkness. <laughs> That's an inside joke. They were in there doing a recording with Brother Shock, and I was out in the sanctuary on a phone call trying to straighten some stuff out, and, and apparently he was hearing it in there, so he come out there and said, you know, we need to move you over into this side room. And so I said, I got banned in outer darkness. <laughs> but I was out there like, you know, again, don't try to preach it all. Write it, and then also... Take it into a series. Give it bite size that they can chew and digest. Instead of trying to give them the whole, I'd say the whole enchilada, give them a part of it. And, of course, if you do that, and I'm learning this, <laughs> then it creates an appetite and people want to come back for more. Oh, that's good. We're an over-informationalized nation. Like, uh, this is probably an old statistic, but somewhere along the lines of four to 5,000 messages a day. That's how many we take in, whether social media work, it doesn't matter, like from billboards to everything like we are over informationalized. So to be able to be direct, your your concept is pray it down, mm -hmm. get a direct word to give information is fantastic. Biblical information is fantastic. But to have a direct word, can you talk about that? Like Absolutely. a direct word from God? First of all, where the word of a king is, there's power. Mm, that's good. And. You know, I've been, okay, let me give you an example. I've been on this kick about altars and thrones. Fire falls at the altar, a river flows from the throne. Hmm. But I've also been on this deal that if you show me the throne of God in the scripture, I'll show you in close proximity an altar. And the other thing that goes with that is a man's gift will make room, bring for a great man. That doesn't mean just be patient, wait, and God will finally bring your ministry to light. That literally means if you're going to get in the presence of a great man, you have to bring a gift. Right. So in order for me to get into a king's court, 
custom was I had to bring a gift. And that's what the wise man's talking about. So I think that by me going to the altar, by me dying out to what I think, what I want, my will, my ways, it has to die there. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The next verse, uh, well, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Next verse is, don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed hmm. by the renewing of your minds that you might know what is that proven, perfect, good, acceptable will of God. So, to me, the only way I can get the will of God is by the altar. Wow. So I have to be willing to bring my will. And even in preaching, I have to bring what I want to say, what I want to do, and I have to put it on the altar. And now once I go by the altar, this is what I say, the altar alters. Mm. So now I can approach the throne. And it's at the throne that the will of the king's made known. Now, so as I go by the altar, I'm dying out. I'm praying through myself what I want to say, what I want to do. And I pray beyond that, I can get to the throne. Wow. Where the word of a king is, there's power. So I know that I'm speaking as a messenger for God or a messenger of the king. I'm going to say exactly what he wants me to say. And when I get that, I, you know, it's like an ambassador. I read this years ago, an ambassador, uh, several things. Number one is. Uh, he can't represent his own personal views. He has to represent the views of that kingdom. Right. Second thing is he doesn't have to worry about resources because all the resources of that kingdom nations behind him. He doesn't have to worry about military because the military of that nation's behind him. And so I think that as we approach the pulpit, we're kind of coming as an ambassador. So I can't get up there and represent my own personal views. I have to know what he's saying. And when I get that, to me, the fear leaves. You know, I'm speaking for the king. You like it, you don't like it. <laughs> Good, bad, whatever you want to say, I'm speaking for the king. Now, with the rest of that says, and who can question it? Meaning, right. who in the world be foolish enough to ask a king, why are you doing this? Right. So now, if I'm my own views, we're in trouble. But when I'm speaking directly for him, and I think that's really what it means to be a man of God. I'm a man of God. I represent him. Mm. I speak for him. And uh, when I get that, you know, to me, the rest kind of falls into place. I usually in, in preparing for this, what going back to what you're saying is I usually get in it and I feel start feeling something in my spirit kind of stirring about a particular something. And, and then from there, I kind of go to the word and kind of get in that vein now. And then I let it start connecting. It's it's just to me it's 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 an amazing journey to get into a subject or God speaking something to you, you feel something in your spirit and then he gives you the verse or an old verse you remember part of it and then you look at it and I, you know I mean I I definitely have commentaries and all that stuff and then I'll look at different translations of it what but then it usually ends up connecting to another verse to another verse to another verse and then. I start getting that and I start now I'm seeing it. Mm. I felt it before. I felt it in my spirit. Now I'm seeing it in the word. It's it's materializing before me. Hey, this is the word of the king right here. And he's showing me what this decree means. I'm just going to get up and speak it for him. And, and when you talk about getting up there and speaking it, do you approach it? Uh, what you feel in the, the spirit at that moment? 
So are you stepping behind the pulpit and you're feeling out? You know, you're feeling it. You're seeing it. How do you respond? Talk to guys my age, younger, um, about, you know, the approach of praying it, studying it, and now we're getting ready to speak it. Well, a couple of things there is God had to teach me a lesson. And the lesson was he spoke to me on a Saturday night in prayer. I've said this probably, it seems like a million times. But he spoke to me on a Saturday night prayer, uh, two revelations for the end time. The first one was, my people understand the mighty God in Christ, but they don't understand the mighty God in them. Hmm. So he gave me that word. So the second word he gave me was, is my people need to understand my view of the miraculous. And he showed me the Syrophoenician woman. She said, my daughter's vexed. I need a miracle. And when Jesus referred to the miracle, he said, it's the children's bread. So he said, miracles are bread that a father gives to his kids. You don't have to beg me for it. It's in my nature to do it. Mm. So Sunday morning, after he spoke that about uh, the oneness, mighty God in us, well, I started studying it out. God started giving me. So I'm writing it out. So I get up on Sunday and I preach that. Then at the end of it, I announce we're going to have a healing service tonight. God said he'll heal everything in the building. So. We get back to church. Now, Sunday, man, it was high. I mean, it was thundering in there. We get back Sunday night, brother, it's deader than a hammer. Mm. Because I'd announce, and so they were ready for me to entertain. So I tried to preach the message. It's just like going right past the pulpit and just falling. So then I said, okay, if you need a miracle, get in line. Well, the first person that got in line ended up, people around here would remember would be a lady by the name of Margie McGuire. She had Parkinson's advanced Parkinson's. So (laughs) she gets in line first. And I mean, they're lining up and I'm thinking, Oh my God, you got to be kidding me. We're going to start with this. (laughs) You know, I wish we could start with a couple of headaches, backaches, things people can't see, you know, let me warm up to this miracle stuff. Right. And I'm telling you, Baron, it was it was just so flat. I didn't feel a thing. So I had to learn at that moment how to trust the word. I have to trust what God spoke to me. And I have to disattach that from their emotional response. Wow. You know, because if they're really, you know, then I, I feel it. It's a, well, what do you do when they're not doing that? That doesn't change what God spoke to you. Mm. So as I stepped off the platform, long story short, as I stepped off the platform, it felt like something draped over my shoulders. I heard the Lord speak these words to me. The gift of faith now rests upon you. I can't even begin to tell you the surge of faith that I felt. They're lined up. There's no emotional response. So God was teaching me to disattach what he was saying from emotionalism. Mm. You know, now. I mean, we all like that when that connects and there's a flow to it and, you know, all that. But, you know, once once you get that and you step to the pulpit, knowing that I have a sure word and you speak that with confidence and with faith, you know, I'd learned this doing crusades and stuff is, you know, you can get up there and speak. And then, man, once you open that altar, you know, there's a little moment of hesitation sometimes. And you're kind of like, oh, boy. You know, is anybody going to come? Well, you know, you can't go on what you see. You have to go on what you hear. Mm. And so, you know, for me, once I get that, this is God's purpose for this service this is what he wants to do. This is the word that he gave me. I felt this in prayer, I felt it in my spirit. And now I'm going to deliver it. And then yeah, normally I will pray as I'm 
you know, after I announce my text, read it, I will usually pray. And somewhere in that prayer is two things. I exercise authority over that service. And then I ask God to confirm his word with signs following. Hmm. Uh, you know, Raymond Woodward the other day, you know, we were talking about preaching different things. And he said, you know, I don't get it. He said, I study, study, study and write notes out and do all this stuff and all. And he said, then I watch you. You just get up there and you're just kind of meandering around and just kind of. And then at the end, it's just kind of like, boom, a tidal wave comes in. <laughs> he said, that's not fair. You know, and I know and I know he was it was a compliment. I get that. But I know people think that I'm kind of meandering around kind of. But now I am doing this at that moment. I'm I'm feeling in the spirit. Right. I'm trying to get a hold of something right now to where where are we going? What's happening right now? Uh, where where are there even pockets of resistance? You know, I watch in a service, especially while I'm preaching and the service gets to moving. I watch the flow of it mm. and you can see the flow of it. And then I'll watch places where it's not a conduit. It's a dam. Mm. This section here is not letting it flow. Why is it dammed up here? You know, why is it not flowing here? It's supposed to flow like a river out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Why is it not flowing here now? This is, was my one of my things as an evangelist, or some people call me a prophet. The problem with that is you see, and sometimes you see things you don't want to see. Right. But I'd, I'd watch that, and, and, and in preaching, I'd kind of see how it's flowing, how it's moving. Not just emotional, but you know when something's flowing. And uh, when I get there, you know, I just kind of, all right, where are we headed? What's going on? Now, if I feel a resistance, it's time for me to exercise authority. You know, I bind this in Jesus' name. And I have I don't advise this to any of your young preachers, but I have been known to go back to those sections and just say, you know, you guys have got a problem here and this is the problem and you need to get it straightened out. And so, you know, I don't know if I'm rambling around here or answering anything. No, that's good. It's <laughs> and, good. Uh, no, but no, going back to it, when God gives it to me and I study it in and I really feel it in my spirit, I approach again, I keep saying this, I approach the pulpit. Now, if I haven't got that, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. You know, and there's times, I'll be honest with you, there's times, you know, I didn't study and pray like I should have that day. And I'm just kind of like, you know, which way is this thing going? Now, when I'm there, I get a little uneasy. But once I get that direct, this is the direction. This is what I want to say. This is what I want to do. Then, you know, it, it I have peace. Has sermon development, preaching the whole nine yards, has that changed? as the seasons of life and you have grown? I think so. I know your sermon, uh, your preaching style has. It's definitely changed. It's different. Now, <laughs> if you talk to Brother Godwin. Yeah. Brother Godwin's deal is I knew Mark before he started preaching like a Baptist. Yeah. Now, here's going back to this. There was a time that I was a pastor. So that's the style. There was a long time that I was an evangelist. That was the style. And now that quote unquote, I'm in some of these other ministries, it changes. So with each office, the style of that changes. I have to operate in that dynamics, you know? So yes, it has changed. Uh, my study sometimes has changed. You know, before, man, I'm just trying to get the message and the sermon and, and, uh, you know, and it's, how can I say this? It's, that is more in the emotional realm, just getting the sermon. But now it's kind of like getting, you know, 
like Jacques Cousteau. You know, you're going way down there. So, yes, it has changed. My studies changed. And again, before I'd get a message, God give me a message for that time, that moment. But now it's more subjects mm. and kind of stand in the continuity of that subject. And I like what you said about breaking stuff down. Like when I listen to you, I think the audience would agree. But when we listen to you, whether it's live or YouTube or whatever, um, what goes out of one service from you? It's it's almost as if there's 20 different messages right there. It probably is. Right. I mean, just <laughs> and that's that's a super high compliment. It's it's. Yeah, it's a high, high compliment, but the ability to be able uh, to, to take that and say, you know, I'm going to place this and build this. Um, would you ever consider doing something? I mean, would you maybe consider is not the best way to put it, but would you ever? Oh, how do I want to say it? Would you put your stamp of approval on, let's say this next Sunday, I, I preach a sermon and it's five sermons in one. Would would you think it would be a wise thing? Obviously, everything felt by the Lord, but to start dividing that out week by week, either Sunday by Sunday or Wednesday by Wednesday, uh, how critical is that work? How critical well, is that work? That's, that's what I'm learning right now. Like I said, I get all this downloaded, and then I want to get up in the pulpit and just, you know, the whole thing. And I'm realizing now, you know, what I said, write it. Write it. Write it. I told you in the earlier today as we go going to lunch last night as I was going to bed going to sleep I heard it it is written it is written it is written written something written is a sword mm. and so and every kingdom has a sword right we have the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and and uh, you know the enemy has a sword too it's his words Wow. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. Fear comes by hearing the word of the enemy. So every kingdom has a sword. It's its words. And so that's the way we battle. We don't battle through emotionalism, although we're emotional. We get to feeling it. But we battle. We become skillful with the sword. And that's how we battle. When I start talking about spiritual warfare, you know, Sister Chenault told me this one time years ago. She said, you know, I get tickled watching you guys over there just, you know, rebuking and binding and flailing your arms. And she said, I can sit over in my chair in the corner and just me talking to my friend. I can get more done than you guys do in hours. And she really taught me something about prayer. She taught me something. And she's the one that really, really got me triggered on. Let the word work. Mm. Just let the word work. And so, you know, I've tried to do that. But, yeah, I think that I want to get more into uh, – I did it Sunday, believe it or not, this past Sunday. I felt like what God gave me, I preached on what do you do when he departs. Hmm. You, you go to the temple, 500 in Bethany, only 120 of them in the upper room. They lost 380 people. They couldn't make the journey. They didn't know what to do. When the inspiration wasn't there. Wow. When he wasn't there, they seen him ascend, but he told me, I'll come back. So I tied that in. I'm just kind of telling you how this message formed. So I got saying that, okay, I'll return in like manner. So there's a moment in all of our lives, he speaks something to us, he breathes on us, we feel the inspiration, and then we watch as he ascends and all we see is the bottom of his feet. We have a tendency to want to camp there. So that's why two men said, Why are you standing here? 
Where are you at, Bethany? Where did he say it was going to happen? Jerusalem. Then you might want to start moving toward Jerusalem. But the inspiration's gone. Mm. It's gone. So what do you do? Well, if you read Acts 1, it says they were continuing the temple praising, worshiping God. That ain't talking about after the Holy Ghost. That's talking about before the Holy Ghost. Right. So I say, here's what you do when you can't feel him and it's gone is you just come to church and you worship and you praise him. He will return. And I think on the day of Pentecost, that's what happened. He did return. And so so I was into that, you know, kind of really, you know, so I got over I got over there in John 20. And I taught this last night on the little family chat deal we do. I got on John 20. He said, you breathe on them, receive you the Holy Ghost. And then he said, whosoever sins you remit, they'll be remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they'll be retained. Well, that took me over to Matthew 16. Keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. But then that took me to Acts 2.38. Because now, and I'm telling you exactly how it happened. So now I know, okay, look at the two words. Look at the words remit and remission. Mm. Are they the same? Are they connected? If they are, then what Jesus was saying to them is, now when you get to the Pentecost and the Holy Ghost has done its work, you will be able to, and remember Peter's got the keys to the kingdom. So whatever you lose and all that. So so I got to look at it. Sure enough, mm. remission and remit come from the same root word wow so when he says you be baptized you know in the name of jesus christ for the remission you could say for the remittance of your sins and whoever in other words whoever you baptize i'll bring remittance and remission of sins if they're not baptized they retain their sin wow well i got that sunday morning so man you know i put a part of my whole deal for sunday and the holy ghost said no 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 that's too much Teach on that Tuesday night. We can just kind of slow down a little bit and just kind of explain it in a low key, you know, way. So, so I did practice what I'm preaching. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. I need to do that more often, though. You, you know, there's the ability to be able to uh, sit down and take notes in a teaching setting, like like what you're talking about, whether it's a midweek, whether it's in a Bible study or whatever. There's something that happens on a Sunday morning. We all know it, especially those that are preaching. I should say they know it. But that takes place at an altar, you know, and that's the aim. The aim is is together yeah. as a body. And and yet there's something very different in a very in a midweek setting where we're really trying to get methodical, really trying to trench it out, dig through those areas of the word of the Lord and leave them with something that is going to last them in their mind, not just in their heart. Do you, you know what I'm saying? A- a- absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I can appreciate taking something from an inspirational point of view and putting it into a place where I can practically say, wow, I can sink my teeth into that and want to study that out on my own, like desire to do that. One last thing, Brother Morgan, would you leave us, not just a younger audience, but but leaders out there, communicators out there, would you leave us with uh, whatever you might be feeling for our generation? Like whether that's something important, whatever, would you leave us with something? Absolutely. When I was district superintendent, I was asked to preach at our youth convention. And so I was praying about it, and I knew I'm addressing the next generation. So what came to me was, is that verse in Acts where it says, and great grace was upon them all. 
Well, the word grace is charis. It's where you get charism or charismatic. It means gift. So you could translate it and great giftings was mm. upon them all. And so not just grace, but great grace. And I knew right there the Lord was showing me. <laughs> just as it was in the launch of this church, that's how I'm going to end it. I'm going to bring great grace upon this next generation. There'll be great giftings in this next generation. Now, as an older man, not old, but older, that kind of bothered me a little bit because I'm like, well, my God, man, everything we, I, I had to go through hell just to get the little bit of that I got. And now I'm watching a generation come on the scene. It's just like, it's kind of natural. Matter of fact, I was in a service with Brother Robinette and Brother Herod. And I turned out to him and said, you guys just make me mad. I said, you really do. You make me mad. I said, because, you know, I've fought hell to get it. You guys just get up and it's just like, it's just a natural, easy thing for you. And I said, so yeah, you know, of course I was in jest, kind of in jest. You know? Right, right. And, and that's kind of the way, but the deal is God knows, he knows the measure of grace that's needed for every generation. Wow. And he allocates on a daily basis or a seasonal basis, he allocates that grace to fulfill that. Mm. So I have no doubt that the end time church, next generation, is going to need a boatload of grace. Wow. But the key to all this is, is it's the grace that's sufficient. On my own, on the next generation's own, they don't have enough. You can't finish what God wants you. But he will give us the grace that's needed in order to finish what he's called us to finish. So I see the next generation come on the scene. I mean, honestly, I mean, I even looking at you, I'm like, man, this guy's so stinking talented. It, it, this makes me sick. You know? Expound on that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much will you go pay me? <laughs> but seriously, I see your giftings. And, and, and as other young men, I'm like, man, what in the world? I got left out over here. But then God reminds me, no, you do what I called you to do and all this stuff. But I just see this next generation come on. And another thing that I would say about the next generation, especially student, I, did, I used to say just hyphen age, but they said not student age now, is I see them in the end time. I think youth Congress proves this. Mm. They want a mission. They want direction. And if you give them something, they will assemble and do it. So I see student age coming on as foot soldiers. Mm. Uh, and here's what we got to do, Baron. We got to amass an army and attack. Right. I think the days of going into a city by yourself are over. It's done. We're really going to take cities. We have to amass an army. And I see that. I think if leaders can give them that direction, can train them on how to fight, show them how to fight, and put them right on the front line. Because really, war is a young man's game. Mm. You know, older men can sit over here and be generals and strategize, but young men are the ones on the front line. And so that's what I see this next generation. I see guys that are so... When I say gifted, I mean gifts of the Spirit, creative gifts. I mean, it's just so much right now that I'm seeing. And, I'm, and you know, I say that, you know, it kind of bugs me. But in once it does that because I'm like, yeah. But the other, it's exciting because you say, hey, this, this is going to be all right. You know, it's kind of like, and I, I don't want to just ramble and ramble, ramble. But it's kind of like, you know, Samuel's over here crying. He's weeping because, you know, his boys have been rejected. Saul's now been rejected. 
And God says, why are you weeping for Samuel? Hmm. Get up, go fill your home with all, for I have provided myself a king. And I, I feel the same way about, you know, we could say, well, you know, look at who all's compromised and who all, you know, the sons of the gospel messed up and guys that were head and shoulders above everybody else that graced our conference tables or platforms, they fell. What are we going to do? And that's when God told him, quit weeping. Wow. Go fill your horn with oil. I've got them out there. Now you just go anoint them. And I kind of feel that's a part of it's affirming these this next generation, pouring oil on this next generation, uh, and and letting them do what God. They're going to knock down giants. That's good. They're going to knock down giants, and there's plenty in our society now. But God saved the best for last. Now, when you read about David's mighty men of war. The first time you read about them, they're in the cave of Adullam. Right. And they're distressed, discontented, and in debt. So David had an ability to transform them into a great army. Mm. I think he just poured himself. Let me tell you what God did for me. We're not going to get focused on your being discontented or distressed or debt. We're going to get focused on our future. We're going to get focused on what. And, brother, he transformed them. He transformed them into men. I mean, the scripture gives you all of them, you know, one with fight both hands, uh, you know, one, what was it, Eliezer, his hand gripped the sword. This starts talking about guys that killed lions and giants. And it all started because God called David and David exemplified it. Now, David learned. He learned with the bear and the lion and he knew what to do with Goliath because the bear and the lion, it says, they took a lamb. He arose, smote them. It didn't say he slayed them. He smote them. He right. knocked them down, took the lamb out of his mouth, and they arose to kill him. And he said, that's when I killed them. So David learned, don't knock your enemy down. Let him get up. The rock didn't kill Goliath. Right. So he learned through the bear and the lion, don't let him up. Don't let him up. And I think that's part of what we got to teach this next generation. Don't just knock this stuff down. Whew. Take its sword and cut its head off. That's good. And then he didn't stop there. He took that old bloody grizzly head on down to Jerusalem and held it up. And he's telling them, I'm going to do to you what I just did to him. You're going to be my capital. Hmm. And then he took it and put it somewhere else. But we don't stop running. We, we don't just get one victory and then stop. We have to keep keep going on until we reach the ultimate thing. So, yeah. So let this generation fight on. Mm. Thanks for listening. We know that these red sessions are going to add a lot of value to your life. Thank you for being part. Thank you for being a subscriber. 